Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to Monday Night Live. Today is the second anniversary edition. It's exactly two years minus two days when I set this up. I had the brainwave uh, lying in bed on the Monday morning as we got locked down in the UK, thinking, how can I uh, how can I help people have a bit of fun, thinking we would run a couple of shows, have two people on, but 12 people showed up and some of them are with me tonight mary jill godfrey tim patricia martin will john and if i missed anybody i apologize for that so two years later we've had four hundred thousand youtube views uh it's been syndicated on podcasts it's on spotify and a number of uh, podcasts Seventeen thousand nine hundred and forty-eight uh, uh, live views and thanks to everybody for their support. Thanks for encouraging me, because I did need quite a lot of encouragement at some points. And thanks to all the speakers, some of whom are here and have joined the Monday Night Live Hall of Fame. Anyway, the first tip, I'm going to shoot straight across to uh, California, to San Francisco, to my friend uh, Patricia Fripp, who uh, is going to let us start, kick the ball rolling with the first uh, tip. Patricia. Welcome. My, thank you, Derek. My first tip is we never kind of or sort of do anything. You may not be aware that you kind of and sort of. However, listen to other people speak and become aware it will drive you crazy. There is nothing that loses your impact and credibility saying well i kind of can do that or i'll sort of do that speak in black or white do it or don't fantastic Back to you. thank you that's a really short you have a real thing thing i probably shouldn't have said thing you have a real issue don't you with the language that people use and uh, you coach them to cut out all that nonsense and the funny thing is, we all use that nonsense somehow at some stages, but uh, there we are. Never, never mind. Um, Eva, I see you've joined us from um, from New Mexico. I'm uh, trying to get my get my American friends on first. Um, what's your tip? My tip is this. Just because you don't like someone doesn't mean that person doesn't have anything to teach you. Wow. That's a powerful one. And do you manage that yourself okay? I do my best every day. <laughs> yes, okay. I think that's something that we probably probably all struggle with, but you're, uh, you're absolutely uh, so right there. Um, John Baker, you're down in Swanage. Let's, uh, let's get the Dorset crowd uh, on. What's your tip? Yeah, really quick one, Derek. Uh, lots of introverts tell me that I absolutely detest small talk. And therefore, they're terrible at it. But you know what? 28%, and that was not a made up one, that's a survey number, of extroverts hate it too. The answer is it's a conversational lubricant. Stop trying to speak more. Speak more effectively. Don't try to be interesting. Be interested in the other person. I've heard that from somebody else on the chat show many times as well, John. So we're absolutely on, on the same page. How long do you think small talk should take place for in a in a in a business meeting well it depends what you're trying to achieve doesn't it Rick? you you and i could sit and chat for a couple of minutes and then get on to the business piece or you and i could sit for an hour and have a great conversation it depends on how well you know the person the type of event 
But I think the first thing is, it's a lubricant to get into a business discussion in a business context, use it that way. Stop going, oh, I don't like it and try and jump into the business because that doesn't work. Now, think about it as a lubricant. Ask, ask questions, ask positive questions. If you're struggling to get into the conversation, even if it's just about, this is a, it's an amazing event, isn't it? I, just, I love that. I love listening to Derek Arden speak at the event. Um, what did you think of him? But it's a positive question that you can get on, on, on move. What you're doing then, you're just leading into the business part. I heard that uh, small talk should be about five minutes for every 60 minutes of a business meeting. I don't know what anybody else has views on that because I do think it's an important issue because I've been in business meetings when people have got straight down to it and you haven't actually known anything about the person, what's on their mind, etc., which I think is very, very important. John Lisby's got a comment. John. Yeah, I was just going to comment that I think it depends on the country's culture, because if you don't have small talk in China, you won't do any business at all. If you, you go straight into business without spending half a day or more on small talk and building a relationship, uh, you'll never conclude a deal. That's very important, John. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what are any other countries you visited where, you, uh, where you've got a time scale on the small talk? Um, I'd say Mexico, they're, they're about relationships. Um, let me think. No, China is the strongest one I can think of immediately. I mean, they spend a lot of time. You have to develop a relationship before doing a transaction. But I've heard that America is the worst country for small talk. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but I'm going to ask Carl Walsh uh, the comment to comment on that first before um, I ask him for his tip, because Carl's worked over in the UK for quite some time before he went back to the States. Carl, are you there? I am here. Uh, yes. Uh, actually, I quite agree that America is the worst place for small talk. In fact, it's one of the worst places for meetings, period. People hate meetings here. Is there any particular reason for that, Carl? Do you, uh, do you know any of uh, they? Sure, yeah. It's uh, Well, it goes with my tip, actually. Okay. And that is uh, your real competition isn't other people. It's your ego. And in American, American business is full of ego. And they feel, why should I listen to these other people? I know better. And ego is the second, third, and fourth word in the in the word negotiation, of course. So put your ego away when you're negotiating, and uh, exactly play up to the other person's ego. But I didn't say that on the uh, recording. <laughs> Phil Jesson, I know you have to move on, so uh, perhaps we should uh, go to you uh, with one of your 365 tips. You've got a few to make up on on that for us. Yeah. Good evening, everybody, and thank you very much, Derek. Nice to see some familiar faces on the screen again. Uh, my tip is about the value of developing a personal logo for the future life together with your partner. We're all familiar with the value of having a logo for our businesses, but do we have a logo for the life with our partner in the future? Now, this is something that you can do 
where you either sit down over a glass of wine and design it together, or you might want to do it separately and compare notes. But for me personally, uh, I did this some years ago with my wife in Cuba. Uh, very, very successful um, in terms of its outcome. Uh, I also went off and had the logo produced as a piece of jewellery. My wife wears that as a necklace, you might be interested to know. Uh, the piece of jewellery has got four diamonds on it. Each of the diamonds represents one thing that is very important to my wife and I in the way that we live our life. And it also has become, interestingly, uh, very important in decision making. Uh, that piece of jewellery and that personal logo, it's helped us open businesses. It's helped us shut businesses. It's helped us in major purchases we've made. It's helped us find a brand new house in terms of the criteria around what was on that personal logo that you sit down over a glass of wine or a meal or whatever and develop it. I can thoroughly recommend it to you. And can you share what was on it uh, or several of the things that were on it, Phil? Uh, yeah, sure. In, in terms of the, of the key elements of it, um, it was a diamond-shaped piece of jewellery with two overlapping circles on top of that piece of metal uh, overlaid across the two overlapping circles was a very small magic wand because we wanted to have a magical life together. I know that sounds a bit cheesy. And in the corner of the jewellery, the four diamonds basically represented the four criteria that we wanted to govern our lives, i.e. we wanted to do things that were healthy, fun, financially secure, and we're going to make this happy. And those four criteria have appeared time and time again. Shall we buy this house? No. Why not? Well, it's not going to be financially secure thing to do. Shall we buy this house? Yes. Why? Because it looks fun and it would make us happy and blah, blah, blah. So those criteria worked for me. I'm not saying they should work for you, but the four criteria for me were fun, health, happiness, and financial security, and they are still there on my lovely wife's jewellery to this day. Sounds great. And does it, so when you have a little disagreement, um, I'm sure you don't have many of them, but uh, people tend <coughs> to do that. Does the, does the logo help? It, it does, because what, what springs to mind straight away is, is the logo depersonalises any potential argument. And we're able to say, well, hang on a minute, you like this house, and I like that house, but let's just have a look at the four criteria and feed those two choices through those criteria and see what happens. Wow. And there's a few comments in the chat box, Phil, you might like to pick up. Um, Nancy says her husband uh, created a, a logo. Um, Mark Lee thinks it's weird you've got a magic wand, but of course, uh, for those that don't know that Mark Lee is in the magic circle, so he would be looking for a magic wand on most things. Uh, Jill says fabulous and uh, so does uh, Gabby and Amy so uh, great Phil we love that one perhaps thank uh, you perhaps you'll show it to us next time you're on uh, Monday Night Live that yes we'll we'll do very happy to do that of course okay uh, now I'm going to go down to Dorset to uh, my uh, lifelong friend uh, Godfrey and see what's actually happening in deep Dorset 
Thank you, Derek. And uh, with no apology, before I do, I would like to say something on behalf of everybody here. I've known Derek since October 1968, and we've been firm best friends ever since. And I'm sure on behalf of everybody, I can offer our congratulations to Derek for two years of the Monday Night Live show. And I know, and you will all know, the amount of hard work that goes in behind the scenes every week to make it the success it has become. And we all owe Derek a huge round of applause. Applause, Derek, thank you. We all appreciate everything you've done for us. That's great. I wish I could do that. That's great. Uh, um, <laughs> well, so, uh, I, thanks, Godfrey. When I uh, when I perfect a little bit more of uh, the AV, like Patricia Fripp, <laughs> I will be able to put the uh, clapping and the sound on. Very good. Well, we know Patricia, we know Patricia is a Dorset girl. I can still tell her Wimborne accent after all these years. So uh, <laughs> uh, we're, we're, there's a few of us from this part of the West Country. My uh, tip is not new. Uh, but it is worth sharing that the key to success is confidence. And the key to confidence is painstaking preparation. And that's what Derek shows us. But it's true. And of course, it reminds us of uh, Thomas Edison that said genius is 10% inspiration and 90% perspiration. Uh, and there are other examples we've mentioned before. Gary Player, the great golfer, who said, isn't it funny that the more I practice, the luckier I get? And simply, there are no shortcuts and hard work brings its own rewards. Derek, well done. Thanks, Godfrey. You're very kind. And it was great to meet you at kindergarten in 1968. <laughs> <laughs> And of course, you're not going to be in Dorset when I'm when Patricia Fripp and I are going on the grand tour of Dorset. I think well, you're away in Italy, which is uh, which well, is. We, we've had this adventure around Sicily planned for three years. We've put it off twice because of COVID. We're hoping that this June it'll be third time lucky. So yeah, I well, might I might miss Patricia. Well, we wish you well. Well, John Baker is certainly going to be there and Angie Phillips is going to be there. So they're on. And uh, maybe a couple of other people would like to join us in the uh, Black Swan in, uh, in Swanage because it's one of the oldest pubs in Dorset. Fantastic, Godfrey. Thanks very much indeed. I'd like to go now, if, uh, if I may, to, uh, to my friend Kate Atkin. Are you there, Kate? I am Derek. Yes, thank you very much. Thank you. And uh, interesting to follow one on confidence, because my tip is about the imposter phenomenon, not a syndrome, as you know, if we keep banging on about that one. But I'm picking it up from Charlie Makesy's book, The Boy, the Mole, the Fox and the Horse, because in there, the boy talks to the mole and he says, what is the biggest waste of time? And the mole replies, comparing yourself to others. And we know we all do it, but actually I've got a couple of other suggestions for a comparison. The first one, which I've been working with for a long time for myself, is actually comparing myself to myself. 
So that's something I might suggest that you start to do if you don't already, is to look at how much have you grown, how much have you learned in the last week, in the last month, in the last year. And if we go back 24 months, a huge amount we've learned in the last 24 months. And then I recently heard somebody do a different comparison, which I thought was really interesting. And this is where they're comparing themselves to other people, but they know that they set the bar up here and this person is setting the bar slightly lower and it's okay. Nothing bad happens. So they're realizing that they can lower their bar rather than finding somebody who's better than them thinking they've got to heighten their bar. So my suggestion, stop comparing yourself to others if you're always doing it to someone who's bigger, better than, than you and start to compare yourself to yourself or compare yourself to somebody who's reaching a bar that you know that you can achieve quite easily. Fantastic uh, tip there, Kate. Uh, something and Phil's looking to add a sentence to it. So, Phil, what's the sentence? I'm yeah. intrigued yeah. now. Uh, I don't know whether you saw the programme on TV the other night featuring Niall Rogers being interviewed by Amal Rajan. It was a brilliant one-hour interview uh, highlighting the musician's talents over the years. But he made a very interesting comment that in his early days... He was very hurt by comparing himself to others and criticism that he got from the media and so on. And then he came out with an absolutely cracking one-liner and he said, whatever people feel and think about me is none of my business. <laughs> I like that. You, you just knew that line was going to go none of their business, but he said it's none of my business what people think about me. That's great, Phil. And of course, we uh, we tend to all uh, criticise each other, don't we? We tend to, uh, ourselves, we tend to look at uh, feedback from one person in the audience. I know some of the greatest speakers very often don't look at the feedback at all. They get somebody else to look at, look at, at it for them to see if there's some feed forward, which would make them even better. But you don't really want to hear criticism from one person who probably didn't like you. The other thing you said, Kate, which I picked up and I thought about doing, but I haven't done, and I wasn't sure whether you were doing that, is journaling uh, your success at the end of the day, writing down what you've achieved and writing down what you've learned so that the uh, reticular activation system or the brain can work on it overnight that's something i've heard and, and that's reminded me to do that you're nodding kate so uh you agree with that as well fantastic thank you um i'm going to go back down to swanage now to angie phillips angie if you're there i know angie does a lot of uh, branding work and maybe she's going to produce a logo tonight with john baker her partner. <laughs> yeah you won't get any input though so <laughs> Sorry, his comment in the chat. Um, yeah, um, one of the biggest tips is is create a visual, rec a strong, recognisable visual image, um, a brand image for yourself. Keep it consistent. Use it across all your social media, your presentation slides, your marketing literature, because you want to actually help people to remember you and um, make make an impact. Make them help them remember you. Help them be able to recognise who you are wherever they see you. Um, one of one of the easy things is create a logo type for your name, choose a colour palette and a font and use it consistently. 
it doesn't always have to be paying the earth for a logo, but um, you can, of course. Um, <laughs> come to me, I'm quite happy. Uh, yeah, but it's, it's making you recognisable easily. And there's nothing worse trying to find somebody on social media and there's half a dozen people with the name John Baker and you can't find them. So, <laughs> Is John Baker in the same room as you, by the way? No, he's in the other room. Oh, okay, that's all right then. <laughs> I'm going to hide now. <laughs> Angie, if you just move your head, people can see A, your, the colour of your brand, but also your initials. And I noticed that you use that on all your Instagram posts yeah. and I inst instantly recognise it's you because it stands out yeah. very powerfully. It actually stands for art and graphics. <laughs> oh, does it? <laughs> okay, brilliant. Well, <laughs> well done and... Uh, Thanks for, uh, thanks for thanks. those Thank you. tips. Now I'm going to come closer to home. In fact, just down the road from where I live to David Skinner. Um, David, if you're there, you've got a tip for us, I know. Yep. Um, this is about understanding other people's perspectives. And it's inspired by a quote from Jennifer Gary Berger, the leadership coach and author. It's easy to cast the person across from you as the villain in your world without remembering that they're the hero in their world. So whoever winds you up, they think they're a good person. They make good decisions. They've got sound beliefs and values. The things they do are right and sensible, and they're the good guys in their world. So the next time you're stuck in a negotiation or someone annoys you or does something you fundamentally disagree with or trolls you on Twitter, a good start point is to step back, make an effort to consider how their world works. How could the things they say and do make sense however offensive they are to you and until you understand this you're not unlikely to make any progress and the more you dislike them or what they do then the more effort you need to make so stop thinking of people as villains in your world and start to understand how they're heroes in their world that's a great quote will you put uh, the name of the uh, the, the person i didn't catch that in the chat box oh, yeah david yeah thanks I'm wondering if I should go to Will Kintish now because Will and I have been great fans of How to Win Friends and Influence People by uh, Dale Carnegie, almost the first book on uh, motivation and inspiration, putting yourself in the customer's shoes, um, which, of course, is what uh, sales, influencing, networking is all about. Will, are you there? Thank you for that, Derek. Picking up on that and ping picking up on what um, John Baker said about questioning there are good questions and there are sometimes questions that upset people. So I'm going to give you four questions that I'm suggesting you don't ask, but I'm going to give you alternatives. Two questions about business is never ask people, how's business or are you busy? Because if they're not busy or business is bad, then they don't want to admit it. So try this one. How's the year going for you is much better. Or at the beginning of the year, how's the year started for you? Or when we get to October, how's the year gone for you? So that's my business questions. In terms of small talk, and John, uh, I, I actually show a prit stick and say that it's the glue, the small talk is the glue that builds the relationship. But please, everybody, if you don't want to upset and embarrass anyone, never ever ask the following two questions. Are you married or have you got children? 
because when you ask the wrong person the wrong question on the wrong day, it can cause a lot of upset. So how do I find out about all of you? It's so simple. I say, so what do you do at the weekend? Or what are you doing this weekend? Or what do you do when you're not working? So uh, just before I finish, I did a one-to-one -one coaching session for a global director of a big pharmaceutical company. And I said to her, what do you do at the weekend? She said, me and my husband, we go cycling. So what did that tell me? Or what that intimated? She had no children. And then that confirmed uh, that she had no children. That's fine. And I was, again, careful. If people haven't got children, you then don't start talking about my three children and my seven grandchildren. So questioning is the key, but be very sensitive to other people. I'm Will and I'm done. And it's back to you, Derek Arden. Thanks, Will. That is a great tip. Wow, we've had so we've had some very, very powerful tips today, probably ones that uh, we'd all heard before. But the problem with hearing things is we don't always action them, do we? So uh, if you're writing things down, pass them on to other people, pass them on to, uh, I was going to say your children and your grandchildren, but Will's just told me that I mustn't say that. So absolutely right, Will. Thank you. Thank you so, so much for that. Um, Thank you. Jill, um, Jill, are you there? Have you got a tip for us? You're one of the original supporters of Monday Night Live. I am, and I have, and I, I credit uh, Shelley Rose Chave with this one. Uh, and it, it follows on from something that Fripp said around approachability and credibility. Uh, sometimes when you're presenting, you want to be empathetic. You want people to like you. You want to be friendly. Other times you want them to take you seriously. So how do you do that? The body language of approachability is asymmetrical. You can be a little bit quirky. You can gesticulate a lot. You can do the same with your voice. You can, you can, you can, you can make your voice much more expressive and do lots with it. If you want to be credible, then you do the opposite. You have a symmetrical posture. You, um, uh, you tend to pause more and you go down on the last but one syllable. That was the news tonight, which is totally credible. So you can never, obviously what you say has to, has to be important, but you can do those two things to be approachable when you speak, um, you know, be, be a little, little more flamboyant, or you can be uh, more, um, more credible. Luke, I am your father. Fantastic, Jill, and thanks for your support. I think you've almost been on every programme, including getting a job but in the middle of it uh, a really good job as well uh, so that I did miss being zoom bombed that was the one that I was pleased well, to make. thank goodness for that and uh, fancy reminding me I've just changed my body language uh, over that um, tell you where I'm going to go now to uh, Shelley Bridgman Shelley are you there um, you're a new member but you gave that fantastic talk to us four weeks ago uh, which we're very grateful and some of it is still ringing in my ears uh, good morning if you're west of Chicago and good afternoon everybody else I guess. Um, I'm glad that Will's still as sharp as ever even though he's moved south. Um, I have a tip for the speakers and the coaches. One of my pet hates is the acronym that everybody uses which is false evidence appearing real when they talk about fear. I'm sorry if I'm hacking off all the Tony Robbins, Robbins fans. And the reason I say it is because 
if you're an existentialist, you believe that all fear is ultimately fear of death. But simply, most of us, the rest of us, would be either a fear of failing or rejection at some level. And it comes from early experience. So if you say to somebody it's false evidence, you're really telling them that they're deluded and it makes them feel even worse. So I think a much better acronym, if you have to use one at all, is factual experience assuming relevance. There you are. And I haven't put the little C next to it, so plagiarise it all you like. <laughs> um, so. Yeah, I'm not sure about acronyms. Some people just trying to make acronyms yeah. out of anything and you've got no chance exactly. of uh, remembering them at all. And I want to give a quick shout out to Graham Jones because... I haven't been on here with Graham, but I still use your blog template that you gave me about 10 years ago. Well, that's very kind of you, Shelley. I'm glad it still works. Yeah, good. Is the check in the post? Uh, yep. <laughs> <laughs> don't, uh, Shelley, don't big Graham up too much. You know, he's uh, he always gets bigged up too much by me. So uh, we all know him. He's, uh, he's a great guy. That means that you're on next, Graham, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> um i'm got a slightly different tip to my usual kind of internet stuff but the problem that we're all facing uh for the rest of this year wherever you live in the world is increasing costs and increasing taxes uh, so everything is going to become more expensive the figure i saw the other day was that 70 percent of households in the uk will be unable to afford their bills by the end of this year. So that's seven out of 10 people on this call will not be able to pay their way by the end of the year. That's serious. And it's serious online. You use, your business depends upon software. Everything you do is software driven. There is a massive worldwide shortage of software engineers. There's not enough software engineers being trained. It's also uh, recently become even worse because within Europe, one of the main suppliers of software engineers is Ukraine. So we've lost a lot of access to software engineers at a time when we need more. That is increasing the costs of software. At the same time, we're increasing the amount of uh, online hacking and problems that you're going to face. That means that all the cybersecurity thing that's going to protect you is going to cost you much more money. Last year, you could buy Norton, for example, for £19.99. This year, it's £39.99. Next year's price has been announced it's £149.99. So, unfortunately, the costs of protecting yourself, the costs of running your business are also dramatically increasing because the number of software engineers is so small and the demand for them is so high and therefore their charges and costs are dramatically increasing. Typical supply and demand economics. That means if you don't plan now for your software requirements later this year, you're going to face another big bill. So it might be better to get all the software you're going to need for next year now, even if you don't use it till next year, because that ultimately will save you money. Uh, 
So there's a big software cost increase coming. Microsoft is looking at increasing the price of uh, Microsoft Office, for example, by 30% at the end of this year. So dramatic increases in your software costs are on the way. So you need to plan for it now. Well, thanks for cheering us all up, Graham, with your realism. I'm not sure whether I should ring the negativity bell, but I'm going to <laughs> anyway. I think that was a good dose of uh, negativity. So us Mac users that don't need Norton have got a huge advantage. Is that I'm right? afraid you have a huge disadvantage because if you're not using it, uh, the biggest number of viruses in the last year have been on Macs, not on PCs. So unfortunately, you're, you're exposed to even worse problems uh, than a PC user. I've just been uh, criticised by Amy for being... Um, uh, uh, for ringing the negativity bell when it was when you were realistic but um i'll take notice of amy but i'm not uh, i'm being positive because i'm saving you money <laughs> great and uh, i've read inflation's going to be over 10 percent now uh, in the uk i don't know what, i'll be interested to know what it's going to be in the usa and uh, anywhere else where people are gregor in slovenia uh, etc although no one knows do they because the oil prices are still going up and will probably get uh, probably get worse. Thanks for that, Graham. Um, Graham, you're our guest on the show next week. Fantastic. Just in case you'd forgotten, didn't have it in your diary, you agreed to that. Uh, some <laughs> it's, it's, in, it's in the diary and I'll be much more positive next week. OK, but uh, everybody else, if you'd like to send any questions into Graham, he's always got an answer. I'm never sure if he's always right. He always seems to be right with hindsight, but uh, uh, that's uh, that's great. Thanks, Graham. Um, 8.9% in the US inflation last week, according to Ava. Thanks for that. Uh, thanks for that, Ava. Um, Paul Coleman's in the Turks and Caicos Islands. Are you there, Paul? Um, you've got a tip for us, I think. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Derek. Um, when I was putting this together, giving it some thought, I realised that I'd worked overseas and expatriate for 29 years, and I can't believe it was March 1993 that I first landed in Bahamas and working. And I look back and I can remember within the first couple of weeks, my predecessor, who I was doing a handover with, he said to me, remember that you are a guest in someone else's country. And I've never forgotten that. And it sounds so simple, but as an expatriate, I think... It, this is a lot different from just visiting a country for a week or two weeks or, or, or whatever. Living and working in somebody else's country calls for a huge amount of respect. And you just, you can easily fall into the habit. And I've seen so many instances over the years I've been an expat where, all right, that I'm, you know, if I, if I say I've been fortunate enough to be in, in one of the idyllic areas in the world, but uh, they they arrive. It's it's a it's a great place to live in. Great place. It's it, they think it's a holiday, and then after one year they can't cope with it because countries are different. They've got their different cultures, their their you know, ways of life, and you can't. One of the worst things that can do is to is to come along when you're working in there with a message or, or portraying a sort of message which says, "Yeah, don't worry, I'm here now. I'll save you." And that's the last thing you could ever want to suggest to anybody because people are quite rightly are very, very proud of their heritage of their country. And it's about recognizing that, that we're different. It's not that 
anything about third world or first and third world or whatever. It's about just a slightly different culture. Uh, and you have to respect that. So as I say, remember that you are a guest in somebody else's country. I think that's a fantastic tip. I think we can all, we all should be remembering that, even when we go on holiday. I see a lot of people on holiday um, thinking they're still in their home country and being rather, um, what shall I use the word, arrogant. And while we're on culture, if you're there, Val, Val was... Um, born in Lithuania, but actually grew up in Belarus and now is working in London. So Val's had a huge amount of experience on cultural issues. Uh, so if you're there, Val, uh, can you share something with us? Hi, Derek, I'm here. And uh, yes, from my point of view, I'll probably share the following. In order to get something, you have to give a lot. And this is my best tip probably to everyone. And from my experience, I managed to get so much either from experience side of things or gaining friendships, relationships, whatever that might be by just giving a lot myself. And uh, I think this is something that is so valuable for everyone in different spheres of life. And I cannot highly probably emphasize it um, because most of us, we are willing and we desire to get as much as possible and take all of those different opportunities in life. But again, speaking from different cultural perspective, I think if we give a lot, we will get a lot in return. That would be my tip. Thank you, Derek. Fantastic tip, Val. And it's interesting how you and I met because you were running a Toastmasters conference. You asked Patricia Fripp to speak. She recommended me. And uh, well, I think there were 800 people on that conference and uh, we've become friends since. And um, you've become a guest on Monday Night Live. So uh, that was uh, that's great. And that just shows you what networking does on Zoom because we've never met, uh, never met live, have we? So thanks for that, Val. Thanks for that, Paul. Um, Gabby, are you there? Um, my um, NLP teacher. <laughs> I am indeed. Hello, hello. Um, I've written down various different tips, but many of them have been um, touched on. I just want to go a bit further from where Paul has said um, about uh, respecting and, and that we are guests in other people's houses or other people's countries when we're expats. Having also uh, been accused of not being English, not being Gibraltarian, not being Spanish, not being French, I think um, there is also something around understanding that we are caretakers of this earth. Um, you know, we, we've got a lot of issues going on with plastic and carbon emissions and all the rest of it. And if we consider that we are just the caretakers of our homes, the caretakers of our area, it's not necessarily the dustbin men's job to pick up the rubbish it's our job to pick up the rubbish if you see it if you're walking down the beach um, I think the more people and the more youngsters that can get into the mindset that they are caretakers of their environment and their world uh, allows us to leave it in a better place for the next generation Absolutely. I was only reminded the other day we've lived in our house for a long time, but I'm only caretaking this house, aren't I, for the next person that uh, lives here, even mm -hmm. though uh, we, we have a big mortgage. Yeah, that's a, 
<laughs> that's a great point that's a great point i've got a few other people here and a few people that have joined like jane gunn and nancy um so i'm going to ask you for tips but if i pick somebody who hasn't got a tip ready then just 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 tell me so over to uh, lester to uh, my pal martin cairns martin are you there i'm here derek yes uh, i wasn't expecting to be asked anything but then again I've known uh, not to not to we trust you to, to leave to leave me alone. Um, well, there's no change there, then, is there? I uh, the way my most recent lesson uh, is to never to let your guard down. That's because having been very careful for over two years to avoid COVID, I uh, I got it uh, well just over a week ago by stepping into a very crowded pub after a Leicester Tigers rugby match. Uh, which was packed with rugby supporters who were watching the international on the television. And uh, the consequences are obviously uh, totally expected. Um, but given a, a sort of wider view, I think the one thing I've pulled out of the last couple of years is that um, obviously technology has been really very helpful, particularly in communications, and then your, your Monday night chat shows wouldn't be taking place without it. But... Um, I'm no longer I'm no longer in a position where I'm trying to earn a living, which is nice. So I've had time to reflect, and I would say to people, life is possible, preferable, and probably more tolerable without Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. That would be my uh, that would be my major learning point from the last two years. And I see one or two people are clapping and one or two people are tweeting that, uh, Martin. So uh, very good. Brilliant. Brilliant. OK, thank you. Thank you for that. And um, why did you go in this very crowded pub? Clearly, you'd already had a couple of beers at the, the rugby match. Uh, so you yeah, I, was, I was being a perfect host. I had a friend up from London who was a London Irish supporter. And he had to catch a train and he had to wait a long time for the train. So I said, I walked back to the train station with him because there was a nice pub next to the train station. And uh, I've had to cancel so many things as a result of that decision. It's not true. What a mistake. What a mistake. Now, um, I'm going to go to, to Jane Gunn, then to John Lisby, then to Amy, uh, and then to Nigel Kirby in that order, if that's all right. If you've got, a, if you've got tips for us, that would be fantastic. Yes, I've got a tip. Hi, everybody. Great to see you. Um, thinking back uh, or thinking forward, really, we keep thinking we're going back to normal and now we're in another crisis. So my tip as uh, someone who helps people manage in times of change, challenge and crisis is be prepared for the change, challenge and crisis. Um, the one of the psychologists I followed who um, is called Al Siebert, uh, has the uh, tip that uh, people will deny danger, disbelief prevails over reality, and they fail to make plans. So the idea is uh, hope for the best, but plan for the worst, whatever that means for your business, for you personally, financially, socially, psychologically, uh, all of those things. Think about how you're going to be prepared for more upheaval because for sure it's coming um but uh you know if you're prepared for it rather as graham was saying you've got you've got a plan b in place and you know where you're going 
Thanks, thanks, Jane, and uh, thanks for your help uh, on that uh, mediation. Jane and I were talking about <laughs> proper practice prevents pro pretty poor performance earlier. Practice, practice, practice via Godfrey. And I'm working for, with a client for the last year and a half on an insurance claim. And we were two days away from a mediation and we had a rehearsal with Jane giving us all the advice that we needed. And then about two hours later, the mediation was cancelled because the other side pulled a rabbit out the hat, something that we didn't know. So the mediation, Jane, is going to be back on, I think, for June this year. Uh, okay. It was um, it was either a coincidence or a very dirty tactic. We're not, we're not, <laughs> we're not sure. I have no comment, Derek. No, no, we've, um, we've both talked about dirty negotiation tactics and there's a few of those going on in the world. I've seen a few in mediation, so oh, I couldn't no. possibly comment. Uh, and you're being recorded, Jane, so it's probably best that uh, no, I don't yes you don't I think I'm going to John Lisby that then Amy and then Nigel if uh, if that's what I said if that works if you're there John yeah okay I'm here um I hadn't really prepared but I was going to respond to Martin by saying I think it's a good thing to get COVID I only say that because um I'm one of those that are supposed to really suffer and I got COVID a month ago and didn't know I had it. It was so this current strain in the UK, it certainly. Um, I I had no problems at all. And last week I had the results of an antibody test, and I've got strong antibodies, which uh, no one was expecting. So um I, I I don't know how to play it. It's a bit like in when I was young, I used to go, I was sent off to chicken pox parties because that was the wisdom for how to protect yourself against chickenpox. But my grandchildren just got chickenpox, and that isn't what the current recommendation is. Um, anyway, that wasn't going to be my tip. I was going to just say, um, when you have colleagues or clients that are going down or facing problems and life is getting really hard, uh, the more that you can stay in touch with them and support them, it's amazing how in years to come, when they bounce back, they'll remember. And uh, that can produce colossal value. I've got a couple of clients now that um, I didn't expect to see again, and they've, um, they're doing really well, and they remember. I think that's it. That's I just want to butt in and say that uh, I know a lady who's just had COVID, and she's really been very rough with it. So... Hmm. People shouldn't be under the impression it's a walkover. It may not be. Yeah. Thanks for that, Harry. Uh, we should not be relaxing. Um, John, back to your typicals. That's the law of reciprocity, one of Gildini's six uh, laws of laws of uh, influence, which is so important. You uh, look after people when they, um, perhaps when they don't expect it, and they'll uh, they'll never forget mm. you. One of the things that is very important is having someone looking after you. And uh, Amy Rowlands has done that for me several times on this show. And she's reminded me I've almost forgotten my friend, Tim Durkin. So, Tim, you're on after Amy. But, uh, Amy, thanks for being my wing person. Or is it wing lady or is it wing man? I'm not sure. Is it is her or what these days? But uh, you can probably tell me the answer to that. You want me to go next? I thought it was Nigel, but I, I'm so. Well, yeah. I've lost the plot as usual. Amy. <laughs> um, it is not. It is Nigel. Yeah, it Nigel's is. up before me. Okay, are you there, Nigel? Yes, I'm. I'm here. 
Apologies. Can I that. just follow on and endorse what Godfrey said? So thank you once again for all of your hard effort. And that has helped inspire my um, inspiration is never stop being inspired. Learn from others. But the important thing is to pay forward to help inspire the next generation and to help fulfill their potential and be for our American friends, the NASA or the European Space Station to launch their careers. You know, it's important that we've got so much shared knowledge and experience that we need to help motivate the next generation and pay forward is a great way and a great reflection on everybody's ability to share and pass on that knowledge. Absolutely, Nigel, and thanks for that. And that's what uh, Monday Night Live and everyone that joins uh, joins us uh, does. And uh, congratulations to everybody. Amy, I'm going to you next, because um, that's the safest thing for me to do as we go through the programme. Uh, what's your tip? So many people tonight have spoken about the importance of our time. And my tip is about leveraging our time, particularly around leveraging podcasting because that's what we're here for tonight. And how could we leverage this podcast? Well, Derek, I would suggest that you run it through Otto or a transcription service, because many people, when they record a podcast, either as a host or a guest, it's just they post about it once and then they forget about it. But there is so much gold amongst this episode today, as are with many episodes, that if you run it through a transcription service, if you're looking to write a social media post or a newsletter or a blog, you can search for keywords and then you can quote your own particular words or other people's words that have been on that podcast so super super relevant today to all talk about how to leverage your time absolutely and i do run it through otter sometimes but not always and i will certainly do it today great tip and 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 don't forget everybody to uh, use otter yourselves if you've uh, been in a meeting or something that you want to record and play it back because it is very very accurate which is interesting. Before I come to you, Tim, because I'd like you to uh, close the sessions, um, Mary has been doing notes for me for the last year. And Mary, I'm sure you've got a tip. I almost forgot you. And how could I possibly forget you in Shepherd's Bush? Um, well, it's two linked ones. And um, one is people are just about as happy as they decide to be. And the one that's linked to it is from Voltaire, which is, I decided to be happy because it's uh, good for my mental health. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it is a decision. Uh, thanks, Mary. And thanks for following up from Jill by uh, making the notes for the last uh, 18 months, I think, which is uh, fantastic. So, Tim Durkin in Texas, what have you got for us, sir? Well, the first thing I've got to join the chorus of people is to congratulate you on two years, Derek, but also to thank you because I cannot imagine, and I don't want to imagine, what my life would be like without having all the friendships that I've made across the pond and in the United States because of your chat show. It has enriched my life in ways I cannot come up. I can comprehend, I cannot explain. So my tip has to do with the fact that I'm getting in my coaching clients and in my students that I teach the executive MBA, the executive education people, they're always asking me, what can I do to increase my focus? What can I do to improve my attention span? 
And I have been doing a lot of research on that. And here's the answer. In order to have attention management, you have to have pain management. In other words, the desire to get away from discomfort is the number one urge of human beings, uh, assuming they have food and, and the essentials. They, we don't want to be uncomfortable. So if we want to, um, if we're bored, we want to eat. Or if if we uh, get anxious, we want to drink or we want to smoke a cigarette or something like that. We are moving away from discomfort. And the, the, the idea here is that the more we give in to those feelings of discomfort, uh, the less our attention span has. Because distraction, the opposite of distraction is traction. They come from the Latin word, which means to pull. So what, uh, I'm going to give you one item, one tool out of four to improve your attention. And that is to surf the urge. Surfing the urge, it's an old technique. It's been around for a long time, but surfing the urge says that if you have an urge for that extra cake or to smoke a cigarette and you're trying to quit or to have a drink and you're trying to cut back or you're trying to, like recently I sat down to do my taxes. And as soon as I did, I discovered that was the perfect time to reorganize my socks and underwear drawer in my bureau. <laughs> and so, um, you know, that's just, that's distraction. So surfing the urge says, I'm going to give myself in 10, 10 minutes. In 10 minutes, I'm going to have that dessert. In 10 minutes, I'm going to smoke that cigarette, have that drink. Believe it or not, whether or not you give in to an urge, the urge will go away. All urges have a time limit to them. And 10 minutes seems to be the time limit. Because if you say I'm going to have that cake in 10 minutes and you don't have it for 10 minutes, you will feel much less likely. So understand that your distraction comes from trying to get away from your discomfort. Understand or, or examine what your discomfort is and you're going to have the power of focus return to you. Thank you, Derek. Back to you. Thanks, Tim. Uh, apologies if I've missed anyone that uh, had tips. I've um, I've listed all down the people that emailed me about the tips. Um, uh, we will stay on the line, and there will be another show like this uh, very shortly. And thank you all for joining. Thank you for watching this on YouTube. Thank you for, the, for listening to this on the Negotiators podcast. But most importantly, without an audience, without a live audience and an audience on the recordings, this wouldn't work. So share the tips, pass them on to other people, leave a legacy. And uh, I look forward to seeing you over the next year. My name is Derek Arden and uh, catch up soon.